Oh God, that's what we want you to do. Right on in our lives. Right in, right in advance of us. Right beside us. And open the way in the journey of this life for us to have a moment with that soul, with that life, with that person who desperately needs to meet King Jesus. It's awesome that you would choose to make us the agents for telling the truth about you and about Him. How can we be contagious for you as we move on in our journey today? Illumine Scripture. Make it clear, we pray, for the glory of Christ. In His name, we all pray. Amen. Amen. The world just learned the story this week of Elaine Duch. Did you hear it? Maybe you did. It was everywhere. An administrative assistant with the New York City Port Authority. She had just stepped out into the hallway to sign for a package that was being delivered on the 88th floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And you guessed it. In that split second when she stepped out, that first ill-fated airliner slammed into the North Tower. There is an explosion of orange and 49-year-old Elaine Duch is engulfed in flames. A co-worker finds her moments later in the corridor, standing half-naked, and I quote, with scraps of her dress melted onto her skin. They took an elevator down to the 44th floor. That was as far as they could go by elevator. They had to proceed the rest of the way by, uh, through the stairwells. The crowd, when they saw the two of them coming, automatically parted. It was just a horrendous visage. When she staggered out of the World Trade Center into the plaza, paramedics were there. She was placed on a stretcher. She looked so far gone and dead that a passing priest performed last rites over her. Over 77% of her body had been burned. She was raced to the Vail Cornell Burn Center of New York Presbyterian Hospital. She was unconscious, placed on a respirator. She underwent seven surgeries didn't even become conscious of her surroundings until a month ago. Two weeks ago, she was removed from the respirator. And on Tuesday morning, Elaine Duch is wheeled out of that hospital to the gaggle of reporters that are awaiting her. I want you to take a look at her face. She's wrapped in bandages. She has moisturizer because of her burns and a cap from the New York City Fire Department. There she is. Now I want to quote her. The Associated Press of course, carried this story worldwide. I'm quoting her now. I didn't want to die, Elaine Duke said in a hoarse voice as she left the uh, Vail Cornell Hospital Burn Center. I thank God that I am here today because when I got hurt, I said, God, save me. And he did. When I got hurt, I said, God, save me. And he did. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please mark those two words down and remember it well. It is the next to the shortest prayer you can ever pray that God will always, always answer. If you pray, save me. And if you have run out of breath and you have only one word that you can pray, help will do. The God of the universe, the Savior of this planet, if you ask Him, He will save you. I tell you what, what a poignant reminder that has come to us through the news today. This week, 
A reminder that contagious reason number one for being a follower of Jesus Christ is absolutely and utterly true. Jesus is Lord. Contagious reason number two, by the way, quickly follows on the heels of reason number one. It too celebrates salvation alone in Jesus Christ. And contagious reason number two, the Sabbath is, how's it go? The Sabbath is rest. Seventh-day Sabbath, a symbol of that time that salvation comes only through the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. And when you reach out and cry to Him, Lord, save me. The Sabbath is a mighty symbol every seventh day. That God is the only one you can rest in. He is the only one who can save you. How did she put it? When I got hurt, I said, God, save me. And He did. You know what? Contagious reason number three. It too, this reason for why you are what you are, is also predicated on the shining and glorious truth that Christ alone is Lord and Savior. And I want you to write it down. Contagious reason number three. In fact, let's go to our study guide right now. It's in your worship bulletin this morning, those of you who are here. The ushers are passing by. Hold your hand up if you need a study guide. This is a vital study guide. You want to have this study guide. Hold your hand up. We'll make sure we get it to you. And while they're moving through, I want to say to those of you listening on the radio or watching on television right now, the study guide is waiting for you at this moment, at this instant, on our website. Let's put it on the screen for you, www.pmchurch, we're the Pioneer Memorial Church, .org, O-R-G. Go to that website. Those of you watching on television, click onto the study guide. You'll have it as you watch this telecast. Fascinating, fascinating study today. All right, let's fill out the first three lines. You have your study guide? Right at the top, the contagious Adventist, a song from the inferno because it doesn't matter where you're journeying in this life. If in a moment of panic or survival, you cry out, God save me, it is music to his ears. It is a song to his ears to hear that you cry out to him for salvation. All right, fill it in now. Contagious reason number one. Let's put it on the screen. Jesus is what? Ah, this is just a little review, but let's get it. Jesus is Lord. Write in the word Lord. Contagious reason number one, Jesus is Lord. Contagious reason number two, the Sabbath is rest. Write it down as well. The Sabbath is rest. Those of you watching on television, you can go to that website and get the previous two studies. They're all there waiting for you right now. But today is contagious reason number three. In advance of, of establishing this from Holy Scripture, let's put it up. Would you fill in the words, please? The law is in the heart. Write in those words, please. The law is in the heart. Want to know why contagious reason number three is such a buoyant, cheerful, positive witness for a friend of Jesus to make? Here we go. We are going to scramble. Let us go. Key text number one. In fact, go right back to your study guide so that you get the verses here. Key text number one, Hebrews 8. Let's put it on the screen there. Fill in the verses 6 through 13. It's a direct quote from Jeremiah 31, as you see, but put in the verses 6 through 13. And in fact, let's, let's turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 8 right now. While you're turning there, I want to tell you why we're going to begin today right here. This, this is a great one. The reason we begin today is because there are some people who, when you share with them contagious reason number two, that the Sabbath is rest, the moment you share it with them... The seventh-day Sabbath is rest. They'll immediately tell you, oh, no, 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 it's not. The ancient Sabbath is a Jewish holy day that no longer is a part of God's glorious new covenant. Hebrews 8 is all about the new covenant. But they'll say, see, when, when, when Jesus died, the Sabbath that belonged to the Jews, it all came to an end. That's what they'll say. 
So, you need to find a cheerful and buoyant reason. By the way, a biblical reason why you believe what you believe. So, let's take a look at Scripture. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8 together. Glorious New Covenant. That's what we're going to read about right now. I'm in the New Revised Standard Version. Whatever Bible you've brought along, that's fine. Let's pick it up in verse 6. But Jesus has now obtained a more excellent ministry. And to that degree, he is a mediator of a better covenant. Okay. Which has been enacted through better promises. Verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need to look for a second one. Verse 8. God, God finds fault with them when he says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. Here it comes. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 9. Not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continued in my covenant. And so I had no concern for them, says the Lord. Now, verse 10, this, you ready for it? This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities. What a gospel promise. I will remember their sins no more. One last verse, 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he God has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and growing old will soon disappear. Did you catch that, folks? What God says, what I really want to do in this new covenant is I want to put my law. I want it to be right on your heart. In fact, let's put that. Let's put that in our study guide to make sure we get that point. Fill it in, please. Study guide goes on the screen now. God says what I really want to do is write my law right in the word law on your heart. Heart, so that you will know me. That has been what God has wanted forever and ever. I said, why did you make that up? No, no, no. It's verse 10. Let's read verse 10 again. This God is speaking. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Okay, question. Was this a new idea? Is this a new concept, of, you know, kind of a New Testament concept that God would put his law on the hearts of his, his friends? Answer, no, it is not new. It is as old as the human race is. Let's take a quiz right now. A little quiz. Let's put it up on the screen. And by the way, you can follow along in your study guide, the quiz. What question, what one word describes the heart of God's law? One word. Some of you are going to guess it because it's Romans 13. Let's take a look at Romans 13, 8 through 10. Oh, no one anything, Paul writes, except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Verse 9, the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder. Hey, which commandments are those? The ten, you're right, the ten commandments, you should not steal, you should not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Finally, verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore, what? Love is the fulfilling of the law. Go back to your study guide and would you write in the answer now? What's the answer? The one word that describes the heart of God's law? What's the word? Write in the word love. All right. Quiz question number two. What one word describes the heart of God? This one's simple. 1 John 4, 8. Let's put 1 John 4, 8 on the screen. It's just three words long. God. Let's read it out loud together. God is love. What one word describes the heart of God? Not only the heart of His law, but the heart of God. Write it in. The word is love. God is love. 
Now, wait a minute. If God is love and his law is love, if God created anybody on this earth, would he make them like himself? Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Let's put it up on the screen. Genesis 1, 27. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Are we in God's image? Write that down in your study guide. In God's image. So if God has a heart of love and his law is love and he writes his law on our hearts from the very beginning, will the law of love be on our hearts? But of course. Let's put the last quiz question up. Number four. So what did Adam and Eve have written in their hearts? Write it in. God's law of love. Oh, wow. This is simple. But interestingly enough, I came across some words that are a century old. I want to put them on exactly a hundred years ago this year. Adam and Eve, at their creation, had a knowledge of the law of God. It was printed on their hearts, and they understood its claims for them. But, you know, this, doesn't it make sense? I mean, if you're a father and you have children you want to, uh, and you create children, aren't you going to want the children to share your heart? Well, of course. And if your heart is a heart of love, won't they have a heart of love when you create them? And if the law is who you are, a law of love, won't they have that law just like it was printed in their, almost like printed in their genetic code? It will be on their hearts. Yeah. Which means God's new covenant in Hebrews chapter 8, that he says, I'm going to write my law in your hearts, is really very good news about a very old reality. He's been writing his law in the hearts of his friends ever since the beginning. Want to see it? Want to see it? Go to the key text number two. Fill it in, please. Key text number two. The law's in the heart. There are a few numbers you need to write in on this one, so we'll hold it on the screen for you for an extra moment. Genesis 15, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 18. And then go to Genesis 26, verse, five, verse 4, rather, and then verse 5. We'll hold that up for a second because you need a chance. Those of you watching on television are scribbling these down as well. Take a look. We have to find out, is this contagious reason? Really, is it, is it from the heart of Scripture? Well, let's go to Scripture. Let's go to God's friend Abraham, shall we? Let's put it up, uh, Genesis 15. And God brought Abraham outside and he said, Hey, Abe, look toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. And then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to Abraham. See, they've been friends. They're friends. He trusts him. And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now notice this. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, see, God says, I'm making a covenant. You believe me? We have a friendship. You trust? Good. When Isaac comes along, God talks to Isaac here in Genesis 26. This is fascinating. Watch what he says about Abraham. He's talking to Abraham's boy, Isaac. Uh, Genesis 26, verse 4. I will make your offspring, Isaac, as numerous as the stars of heaven. And I will give your offspring all these lands. And all the nations of the earth shall gain blessing for themselves through your offspring. Now, notice verse 5. Because your dad, your father Abraham, obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Get it down, ladies and gentlemen. Long before there was a Mount Sinai, God was building covenant friendships with men and women who in faith hungered to know Him. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Did they have a little book they could open and say, oh, what is the law of God? Did they have a parchment? Did they have a scroll? No. Did they have stones with handwriting on it? No. All they had is what was written on their hearts. The law, commandments, and statutes. Let's make sure we get that in our study guide, please. 
Abraham, let's put it on the screen here. You see that under key text too? Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments. Write in the word commandments. My statutes and my law. Hey, wait a minute. I thought that the commandments didn't come to Mount Sinai. Whoops. Looks like the Scripture says that they've been around from the very beginning, written on the hearts of God's friends. All right. Shining proof that long before God with His finger wrote on stone atop Mount Sinai, He was, he was writing His law upon the hearts of His friends. By the way, that's an important point. If someone comes to you and says, Oh, no, no, no. Seventh-day Sabbath, fourth commandment. It only started at Mount Sinai. Now you know. It's been from the very beginning because God has written His law in the hearts of His friends. By the way, Abraham was not under the Old Covenant either. Abraham was under the Everlasting Covenant. Notice the subtext under uh, key text number 2. Let's put, in fact, put them on the screen. Ezekiel chapter 16. This is an everlasting covenant. This is God speaking here. Yet, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish with you what kind of covenant? Everlasting. It's forever. God is saying that as well in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Take a look at this one. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. God isn't going to keep saying, well, I've got, I got to come up with another plan here. My first plan, I wasn't too good at it. Are you kidding? Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. What does God say? I am the Lord and I change not. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. What's it say about Jesus? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Garden of Eden, God has always longed for a covenant relationship, a forever kind of friendship with all His earth children. And that's why in James chapter 2, verse 23, the Bible calls Abraham the friend of God. And if you're a friend of God's, God will write His law on your hearts. You don't need stone. You don't need parchments. He writes it on your heart. Whoa. Long before there was a Mount Sinai, which, by the way, means that God's gift of the Seventh-day Sabbath was written on the hearts of His friends from the gates of the Garden Eden all the way through to that spectacular moment when God Himself, with His own finger, carves it in stone. Let's go to key text number three that describes that moment. Key text number three, the laws in the heart, right in Deuteronomy 6, right in the verses 5 and 6. Just right in the verses 5 and 6. God speaking. In fact, let's, let's go to God's words right here. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And six, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, God goes on. Keep these words that I am commanding you today. Keep them where? What does it say? Keep them in your heart. The heart of God's law and covenant is a call to love Him supremely. All the way through the book of Deuteronomy, He's saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. You'd be amazed how many times the word love appears. But it would be only natural if you have a relationship, a, a covenant friendship, that at some point you're going to say, you know, would it be all right? Would you mind loving me too? And that's exactly what he does here. The way you love me is, let, please keep my word on your heart. By the way, the word that God speaks of there when he said, we just read it a moment ago, Deuteronomy 6. Do you know what the word is immediately preceding that verse? Deuteronomy 5. And Deuteronomy 5 is a story of the Ten Commandments. He said, I wish you'd get my law and just keep it on your heart. Uh, would you write it in your study, guys, please? The Ten Commandments are the moral law 
that God has always desired to write upon our hearts. Write in the word moral. That means, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that the Ten Commandments are hardly a temporary provision for people living under the Old Covenant. Well, you know, we needed something for them back then. Oh, sure, there was an Old Covenant, to be sure, but it wasn't old because somehow the law was defective or temporary. God says, well, I need to come up with another plan. It was the Old Covenant because Israel tried to keep it in the old-fashioned way. They did it the hard way. They earned it. They worked like every world religion tries to do. I'm going to work my way. I've been in Singapore. I've watched Thai Pusum, which is a Hindu rite. It is amazing. I went to school there. I went to this, saw this three times every February. It would come where these men would actually run spears through their faces and tongues and backs and stomach to somehow get the attention of the God of the universe and say, please, you've got to save me. That's the old way. It has always been man, woman, desperately trying to get God to change his mind. No wonder Israel spectacularly failed. Hey, 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 hold it. Not all of Israel. They didn't all fail. That's why we have Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible's Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith chapter. In Hebrews 11, you have the story of men and women who by faith entered into a covenant friendship with God. By faith, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Old Testament heroes with a new covenant friendship. In fact, take a look at David. Let's go to key text number 4. Hastening on here. Psalm 40, right in verse 8. Just one verse. Psalm 40, verse 8. Look at David. I mean, he was a friend of God's. How did David put it in Psalm 40, verse 8? Let's put it on the screen. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Would you just jot that in there? Your law. Let's put the study guide up. Your law is within my heart. And what is the big deal? I mean, why? Well, so who cares? Who cares where the law is? Why is David so big on the law being on his heart? Very next verse. Look at verse 9. David writing, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and salvation. I haven't concealed your love. The big deal is that the law is shorthand for God's deliverance, salvation, and protection. Okay, let's, 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 we, we need, a, need an illustration right here. Let's say we're living today in a war zone. And by the way, if you heard the president this week in a State of the Union dress, address, he said, we are still at war, didn't he? But let's say that we're living in Afghanistan. And let's say that you and I have to travel across this particular patch of Afghani soil. And we know that the enemy has already stealthily laid just under the surface of the ground life-destroying landmines. The, the, they are peppered between here and where we have to go. There is no way you, could, you can't You can't tell just by looking with your mortal eyes. But what if somebody comes along and says, you know what? I have here a map of where every landmine is. If you will take my map. It will tell you where the landmines are, and you, by following my map, will not step on a single landmine. Is there anybody here foolish enough to say, Man, I'm, I'm so sick and tired of people telling me how to live. I don't need that dumb map. I'll go myself. And if we went ourselves, boom. Adios, as they say in Chinese. You're gone. <laughs> I just wanted to know if you were listening, that's all. Kind of felt like I was all alone up here. But I'm glad you're there. All right. You're gone. <laughs> you are gone. 
See? I mean, you'd be crazy. If somebody has a map and says, this is where all the landmines are, and that person came to me in Afghanistan, you know what I'd do? I'd say, sir, can I ride on your back? I mean, wouldn't you? What does David say? Psalm 40, verse 8. How does David put it? I delight to do your will. Oh, my God. Your law is within my heart. You gave me a map where the landmines are, and I am so grateful that it's written, your law, in my life. Thank you. Now, a wonderful book that many of you have read. Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God. It's just a Christian classic in our nation these years. I want to put up a line from Henry Blackaby's book. God loves you deeply and profoundly because He loves you. He has given you guidelines, read law, for living lest you miss the full dimensions of the love relationship. Life also has some landmines that can destroy you or wreck your life. God doesn't want to see you miss out on His best, and He does not want to see your life wrecked. Oh, your law, that's why, that's why you want to put your law in my heart. You don't want me to step on a landmine that will destroy me morally. And so you give me a map and you say, Just, boy, follow my law. I'll put it on your heart. You'll know. Your conscience will tell you. You will know. Wow. I mean, this isn't bad news. This is about the God of the universe that says, I love you so much. I want what is part and parcel of me to become part and parcel of you. My new covenant is, I write it right on your heart. But we've just found out that new doesn't mean really new in time. Because long ago, long ago, Abraham was a friend and he had the law written on his heart. Well, let's go on. What's the next, what's the next one here? Let's go. Oh, by the way, I need to say this before we go to key text five. Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 7, and it's right here in your study guide, tells us Jesus prayed Psalm 40. That's a prayer of Jesus. The Son of David prayed the prayer of David. Your law, O God, is in my heart. Now, am I surprised at that? When the lawgiver incarnated, became one with the human race, am I surprised that the law would be written on his heart? There is a dynamite line he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, and that is key text number five. Would you write it in, please? Key text number five. Just three verses. Matthew 5, 17 through 19. Oh, this is incredible. It's in the Bible. Matthew chapter 5. Let's just read the three verses first, and then we'll fill in our study guide. Verse 17. Do not think, Jesus speaking here, red letters, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Hey, did you think I came to abolish it? Or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Read on. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But, hallelujah, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Boy, get this in your study guide quick before we lose the point. Would you write it in there? The very words of Jesus, I have not. I mean, I hear some people and I kind of think, maybe you thought he came to get rid of it. No, no. I, I am the lawgiver with my finger. I have not come. Write it in. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Which, by the way, means to fill it to the full. And interestingly enough, as soon as Jesus speaks those words in verse 21, 
There it is. Jesus, you know which law Jesus is talking about? You have heard that it was said to those of, of, the, of ancient times, you shall not what? That's, from, what, from what law did that come? It's the Sixth Commandments, the Ten Commandments. By the way, let's put verse uh, 27 up next. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. What commandment is that? Seventh. Now, does Jesus abolish those two? Are you kidding? Jesus said, hey, I'm going to fill it to the full. In fact, I want to tell you that if you ever look at your brother or sister in anger, if in anger you explode, you are killing them. Did he abolish the kill commandment? No, he deepened it. And when he said, by the way, adultery, some of you think that only if you have sexual intercourse with a girl, that means you commit adultery. No, 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 no. If you move into lust, if you live, even, even look at her in lust, you are breaking the seventh commandment. He, did, did he just abolish the seventh commandment? No. He deepened it. He filled it to the full. And here's what some people say, though. Oh, well, come on, Dwight. As far as we can tell, only nine of the Ten Commandments did Jesus deepen and fill to the full. He, I'm sorry, but He didn't do that with the Fourth Commandment. Remember the Seventh-day Sabbath. And I say, wait a minute, are you serious? Have you not read Matthew chapter 12? Let's look, take a look at Matthew chapter 12. This might be important to keep in mind. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus in verse 8. Let's put it on the screen there. Matthew 12. Verse 8. We can put that up there on the screen. See, I always have to look down and say, "Uh uh-oh, I got out of order and they're having a heyday up there in the control booth. But no, it finally came. Good. Matthew 12, verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of what day? I've not come to abolish. I've come to fill it to the full. And as soon as Jesus speaks these words, look at this. He left that place. It was on the Sabbath. He entered their synagogue. Uh Uh-oh. Go on, please. There. Whoa. Yeah, well, we can correct that for the television, folks. Let's just get uh, the verse back on. He goes into their synagogue. Oh, I can tell you the story. He goes into the synagogue, and there is a man. There is a man with a withered hand. And the Pharisees are saying, oh boy, let's see if this young teacher healer is going to do something to break the Sabbath. And Jesus looks at them and he says, okay, I'll read your minds. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that I'm going to heal this man. I want to ask you something. If you had a cow, a dumb ox, and on the Sabbath it fell in a pit, maybe it's your neighbor's, would you take it out to relieve it of its suffering? Oh, of course. Then what is the problem? If I want to heal this man on the Sabbath, he is a child of God. Stretch out your hand. Boom! Whoa! And I did it on the Sabbath. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is asking the question, did I just abolish the seventh day? Did I just say it was Old Covenant and it no longer longer applies? Or did I just show you how you can fill the seventh day Sabbath to the full? Look, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I wrote it with my finger. Why would I change my mind? See, folks, just, just, just be logical. And, of course, be biblical. The incarnate lawgiver makes it clear that the seventh-day Sabbath of rest has always been God's great cosmic gift in time for the human race, gift in time forever and ever. It's written on the heart of his friends. Jesus didn't come to destroy it or abolish it. Oh, we've got to go. Let's go to the next key text. Key text number six. Only two left. Key text number six. The law is in the heart. Let's put it up on the screen. Hebrews 4, and would you, these are, you've got to write f- five numbers now. 
Number one, number two, these are verses, of course. Verse one, verse two, verse four, verse nine, and verse ten. Now, this is beautiful because there's some people who say, in the New Testament, you can find all nine commandments. You can't find the Sabbath commandment in the New Testament. Somebody forgot to read Hebrews 4. Watch this. Hebrews 4, verse 1. There it is. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest is still open, let's take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, look at I love verse 2. For indeed, the good news came to us just as to them. The gospel's always been good news from the beginning to the end. But the message they, that's the ancients, the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Now, notice this. This is verse 4. For in one place it speaks about the seventh day. This is New Testament. The seventh day as follows. And God rested on the seventh day from all His works. Verse 9. So then a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. Verse 10, For in one place it speaks about the seventh day as follows, and God rested on the seventh day from all His works. Well, that is it. That's a repetition of what we just read, wasn't it? The seventh day is a symbol of resting in God's salvation. Oh, they kind of missed it. Some of the ancients did. They missed it. But... It is as if God were saying, please, the rest still holds. Come into my rest. Every seventh day is my passionate appeal to you to trust me to be not only the Lord of your salvation, let me be the Lord of your Sabbath as well. Wow. Before sin, yep, before sin, the Sabbath was a symbol of resting in relationship. After sin, the Sabbath is a symbol of resting in God's salvation. It's always been rest. And it's always been written on the hearts of God's friends. In fact, let's fill it out. Last line before we move on to our final uh, key text. Clearly, let's put it up on the screen. There it is. Clearly, the seventh-day Sabbath is an abiding symbol of resting, trusting in God for our salvation. For that reason, ladies and gentlemen, the seventh-day Sabbath is at the heart of the everlasting covenant. Always has been always will be. And that's the covenant that God calls the new covenant. One last time. Let's go back to Hebrews 8. One last time. And let's just put up verse 10. Hebrews 8, verse 10. This is the covenant, the new covenant, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Now notice the tenses of the verbs. I will put my law in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Do you notice, folks, that it is all future tense? Is that clear? It is all future. Now, get this. You've got to think logically, but just hold on for a moment. When Hebrews was written 40 years after Calvary, it is being written to New Testament Christian believers. Right? So now, the writer of Hebrews is saying, God in the New Covenant will put your, His law into your heart. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Which law goes in the heart? I've got a question. Which law is it? Let me ask you, is it, is it the sacrificial law? The one that talks about the coming Lamb of God? Well, it can't be that. Is it the Mosaic Code, the sanctuary system? Is it that one? No. Is it the ceremonial law? Matthew 27, verse 51. When Jesus died, you remember that? At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. Hold that picture up there for a moment. That's a picture of Jesus. You see the veil being ripped. That veil was not ripped by human hands. It was ripped from the top. 
And when that veil was ripped, God effectively declared, no more, no more ceremonies, no more sacrifices. Now, the Savior of the world has completed the gift of salvation. So, when Paul comes along, when the writer of Hebrews comes along and says, the new covenant will be God writing His law on your heart. Let's put, it up to put the question up. What law then would that be? If it's not the sacrificial law, if it's not the ceremonial law, what law would that be that goes on the new believers' hearts in the new covenant? Ladies and gentlemen, there is only one law left. It has to be the moral law of the Ten Commandments. Please get that down in your mind and heart. There can be no other law. The other laws all ended at the cross. Which, by the way, is why all of God's friends, Moses, David, Peter, Paul, had the law written on their hearts. Paul wrote this. Look at this. It's in, it's in your notes. 1 Corinthians seven nineteen. Because Jesus has died, circumcision is nothing. That's Old Covenant. That all came to an end. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But get this, please. But obeying the commandments of God is everything. Isn't that fascinating? The moral law, obeying the commandments of God for the New Testament Christian is everything. Oh, forget about circumcision. The sacrifices are over. But obeying the commandments is everything. Wow. So, if anybody comes to you and suggests that the Seventh-day Sabbath is not part of God's new covenant, that person has simply missed the shining logic and truth of the Old and New Testaments. All right, final text. we got to go home. Final text. Would you write it in, please? From the Bible's last book. A description of the last generation of God's friends on earth who, guess what? No surprise. Just like all His other friends will also have the law written on their hearts. The moral law of the Ten Commandments. Would you write in the numbers, please? Revelation 12, 17... And Revelation 14, verse 12, our last key text. Let's read it together. Revelation 12:17. Then the dragon, the symbol of Satan, was angry with a woman, symbol of the church, and went off to make war on the rest or the remnant of her children, those who live at the end of time. And what kind of people will they be? Those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. One more text. Revelation 14:12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the faith of Jesus. The final words to write in your study guide, let's put them up on the screen right now. God's last friends on earth are described as people who keep the commandments, write in the word commandments of God, and hold fast to the faith. You see, it's always been trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. From the very beginning. One last line. Clearly they... These people at the end, just like Jesus, have God's law written in their hearts. Final question. Final question. This one's not a quiz. This one will be on the final exam. Would you like to have God write His law right now on your heart. Would you? Want to be a part of a generation at the end of time 
that says, you may write it here, O God, your forever friendship in your forever covenant. Would you like to have that? How can it happen? You may ask. You may ask God right now. In fact, I want to end the service by all of us going to our knees. And I'd like to pray on your behalf. If there's anybody here who, you know, I don't think I have God's moral law written on my heart. My friend, when you accept the Lord Jesus, you may ask Him. And He will give to you His law. The law of His forever friendship. His law of love. He'll write it on your heart. Let's kneel together, shall we? This is our closing prayer. Let's pray the prayer together. Oh God, we've just taken a sweeping vista of sacred history and we are amazed from the Garden of Eden to the end every man, woman, and child that sought your forever friendship upon every one of those hearts you wrote with your own finger as it were your eternal moral Law of love. Oh God, we've been wrong. We, we've been wrong. We have chafed about the Ten Commandments. We've said, oh please, don't, don't make them applicable to me. Not all ten. But, but Father, You've just taught us that we can rest in You with absolute confidence and security. You've handled all the question of salvation. Jesus' death on Calvary paid the price for every one of us sinners. And when we become forever friends with You, You just as quickly assure us, I will write my moral law now upon Your heart so that by beholding Jesus, You will become changed into Jesus' likeness. Oh, Father, we've gone to our knees with the quiet prayer. Write Your law right now upon all of our hearts. We want to be friends, forever friends, with the Lord who has paid the ultimate price. He is our Creator. He is the Lawgiver. He is our Redeemer. He is our friend. Dear God, today, write that law of covenant friendship upon us all. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.